नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चारवाक पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा ऑलराइट सो टुडेस पॉडकास्ट इज अबाउट अ सब्जेक्ट व्हिच इज अ चैप्टर ऑफ हर्षन राजीव्स बुक सो बिफोर समबडी थिंक्स अरे तुमने तो ये बुक के बारे में एक बार पॉडकास्ट की थी ये वापस कहां से आ गई वेल फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल दैट्स अ लॉन्ग स्टोरी बट हर्षन राजीव हैड फर्स्ट पब्लिश्ड दिस बुक विद आई फाइ रिमेंबर करेक्टली ब्लूम्सबेरी देन ब्लूम्सबेरी लेफ्ट इंडिया एंड नाउ वेस्टलैंड वेस्टलैंड ओके सॉरी देखा मैंने मिस्टेक कर वी डोंट टच ब्लूम्सबेरी वेरी गुड ब्लूम्सबेरी हाय हाय दैट्स व्हाट दे आर सेइंग नॉट मी ब्लूम्सबेरी तुम्हारी बुक्स मैं कर दूंगा मुझे पैसे दे देना सो एनीवे एज फार एज दैट बैड पार्ट इज कंसर्न सो हर्ष एंड राजीव की बुक वेस्टलैंड में थी एंड देन दैट आई थिंक वेस्टलैंड हैज काइंड ऑफ लेफ्ट इंडिया एंड देन हर्ष एंड राजीव रीपब्लिश्ड दिस बुक एंड दिस टाइम दे पब्लिश्ड इट विद some new tidbits and uh, some uh, uh, new material and then i told harshan rajiv we need to talk about it and i always actually wanted to uh, my this was my personal favorite chapter of the book also this is if i remember chapter 4 right rajiv and harsh it is chapter 3 oh, so i i'm on fire today two mistakes in the first for two minutes i'm on fire patla ho gaya kushal yaar bahut patla ho gaya what happened patla ho gaya patla ho gaya dekh meri shirt dekh puls aa gayi puls so uh so the chapter was called saving secularism from secularists and this was i mai maine jab pehli baar bhi book padhi thi i had told these guys that this was my favorite chapter a uh, not just because of what was written in the chapter but because of the title it's such a beautifully written title because the intent of the title was so true because truly and today is a historic day because one of the battles of secularism in india has been about india's past uh, uh the book uh, rajiv book ko upar kar zara dikha logo ko uh, as uh, as you guys can see the book is called a new idea of india the civilizational republic aaj ek bahut hi special day hai um today the supreme court has agreed to do a survey right uh, has not put a stay on the order of conducting a scientific survey on the gyanwapi um mandir i don't call it a masjid i refuse to call it a masjid but it is called famously called the gyanwapi masjid and um, it was just uh, there was no plan we had discussed and decided this date a long time ago we did not know the supreme court was going to say ha theek hai ye karo but i think today is just a historic day because uh, harsh when it comes to secularism in india maybe we start with a few definitions like what is secularism usually for normal human beings and what is secularism in india can we create a distinction first there itself maybe you can start there okay so i think uh, secularism ka classical matlab ye raha hai kushal that you separate religion from state so basically whatever uh, state policies are they will be religion neutral they will not be anti religion they will not be pro religion they will be religion neutral तो हिंदी में आई थिंक राजीव और मैंने उसको ट्रांसलेट किया है पंथ निरपेक्षता तो वी हैव नॉट यूज्ड द वर्ड धर्म निरपेक्षता बिकॉज टू बी यू कैन बी न्यूट्रल टू धर्म धर्म इज कैंड सुपर स्ट्रक्चर सो यू हैव टू बी न्यूट्रल टू वर्ड्स इंडिविजुअल डिनोमिनेशंस पाथ्स संप्रदायज वट एवर यू वॉन्ट टू कॉल इट एंड ऑब्वियसली संप्रदायज बियॉन्ड वॉट वी अंडरस्टैंड एज हिंदुजम एज वेल सो दैट इट इट कम्स इट कम्स ऑब्वियसली फ्रॉम सेवनटीन एटीन सेंचुरी europe right where there was a lot of uh, catholic protestant 
civil wars after the protestant reformation and uh, based on that after killing each other for like 100 years and you know killing one third of what is now germany the europeans realized well, maybe it's not such a good idea to kill each other after all and uh, so in in our modern state context that's where it comes from in in a larger sense obviously it's underlining it's it's undergirding is very much pluralism which is not just a key part of dharma it is almost the definition of dharma uh, in our context so the reason rajiv and i chose uh, saving secularism from secularists um is because we don't need lectures on secularism from anybody else right i mean in the in the sense that uh, in fact as we very well know till 1976 the word secularism was not in the indian constitution it was actually inserted during the emergency the meaning in a larger pluralistic sense was always there was always and was not required so so secularism basically means separating religion from state policy of course in india and as this chapter very thoroughly <laughs> goes into detail shows that is not the case in india we have dime a dozen policies by religion varying by place of worship by by education policies by the kind of money the government gives you literally it will give money to some muslim girls for getting married and not for hindu girls to get married and so on and so forth so so in india it is almost a debauched bastardized complete 180 version of uh, what secularism was meant to be so rajiv in that case honestly when i i i always ask this question to people when we grew up actually mai apni secularism ki understanding kya thi apne ko to yahi bola jata tha na all religions are the same that was the classic understanding we were given of secularism did you actually know what secularism was growing up tujhe pata tha टू affiliate not affiliate within certain uh, guardrails but uh, state should not be discriminating based on religion but apne india mein kya kiye ki we have inverted it we have started saying that uh, society should not discriminate at all but the state can discriminate and in fact the state does discriminate uh, various state governments the union government as we have catalog in that chapter kushal uh, which you are pointing to uh, have actually institutionalized this practice और इसको हम लोग बोलते हैं सेक्युलरिज्म के नाम पे और इसके बारे में ना कोई इतनी चर्चा होती है नो वन टॉक्स अबाउट इट नो वन काउंटर्स इट एंड फ्रेंकली लाइट एंड गिवन एरेशन of all that has happened and frankly is continuing to happen in the name of secularism so yeah. so in that sense writing this chapter was quite educative for both of us yeah honestly i did not know what the true meaning of secularism was for years between uh, all the three of us i'm openly admitting it until i went like 
टू यूनिवर्सिटी एनआईरेट अच्छा ये अच्छा गोरे लोगों का सेक्युलरिज्म से कुछ और था हमारा तो सेक्युलरिज्म का मतलब कुछ और था एनआईरेट ये तो चीटिंग हो गई मेरे साथ ये वाला बेटर सिस्टम है बिकॉज़ सी फॉर मी एज अ डिसबिलीवर एंड आई एम टॉकिंग अबाउट व्हेन आई वाज 18 20 एंड दैट टाइम आई वाज लाइक अ प्रॉपर एंग्री एथीस्ट टाइप सो नो आई वाज लाइक ये तो चीटिंग है ये बेटर सिस्टम है इसमें मेरे जैसे लोगों को भी स्कोप मिलता है and and i like these you know few moments in your life you distinctly remember i remember the moment when i first understood what secularism was supposed to be and what we have done to it in india and i was like damn i this is better this see i don't mind a state that is equidistant from all groups and treats everybody as an individual i think in multi ethnic multi racial multilingual and whatever diverse societies i i think it's a better governance model because it treats people as an individual and it breaks you down to an individual unit yes there are going to be uh, societal and civilizational spillovers which is natural in every country which harsh so often you talk about that you know it, even in a country like america it's not like they are really secular or in france they are really secular in the sense that there is no civilizational spillover on that but then that spillover itself is a debate in india right as you guys show in the chapter right harsh yeah ek to i would be a bit cautious about i know of course colloquially we use it equidistance is very problematic word like equidistance means ki you know uh, between barack obama and osama bin laden equidistant kind of thing right so it's, it's it basically creates all positions as equal mm-hmm. i think i think uh, the right point is indifference and i think actually even better technical definition is indifference not only between religious paths but indifference between religion and irreligion so the reason why that is important is uh i think we actually quote this example rajiv in the book that uh, abercombe am i pronouncing the name of the store right um is is like one of the fast fashion teenage kind of clothing abercombe and fitch abercombe yeah abercombe and fitch, right? so uh, i think i think that was the line if i'm not wrong that was the store where a muslim girl in the us uh was hired as a kind of a employee for selling clothes as a sales person and uh, she said you know that it's part of my religious what in american parlance you would call essential essential religious practice that it is part of my religious identity that i must wear the hijab uh while selling these kind of effectively teen kind of clothes in the western context and obviously the chain was not very happy they said it does not really go well along with our image but actually you know she won in the us supreme court fair and square i think it was 81 or 90 something like that the case went all of all the way to the supreme court and i think that was actually a mistake of the us us jurisprudence because the 1964 civil rights act ended up not equating religion and irreligion the reason why that's a mistake is if tomorrow somebody comes and says you know my religion is you know uh, climate change healing or my religion is rastafarianism etc etc whatever was popular uh, in a mocking sense in this kind of neo atheist circles a decade ago and therefore my religion requires me to have one horn and not the other horn uh, the state according to this logic must intervene uh, but the state does not intervene which effectively means even the us has accepted some religions as being formal and some as being too new and within those formal religions some of them having conventional practices effectively essential religious practice so to answer your long question uh, very shortly no secularism is perfect in that even in a very definitional sense all countries make compromises 
we may not allow cows to be killed in many states americans may not allow horses dogs and cats to be killed for emotional reasons ab ab mera religious reason hai tera emotional reason hai now it's like it's a it's a it's a question of semantics right the point is for various emotional reasons you allowed one animal to be killed and eaten the other animal not to be killed and eaten so there are problems in all societies all large multicultural societies with secularism the point is as rajiv rightly mentioned within the guardrails within reasonable debatable guardrails can we keep in one final point secularism because ye debate hota hai ki secularism indic concept mein apply karta hai nahi karta hai you know ye bahut bar sawal aata hai ye bhi jaise maine bola it actually came from the christian context but as i often say bhai virus bhi ek jagah se aata hai aur vaccine bhi udhar se aata hai just because the vaccine is also using the virus doesn't mean the vaccine is the virus so whether we like it or not abrahamic paths are already in the indian civilization for now millennia number one and number two even if there were no abrahamic puns other or paths rather uh, how would a, today we don't live in the age of kings you know how would the government choose one buddhist sect over one hindu or jain sect it cannot because earlier they used to give donations to temples etc so even if you don't want to use the word the word is not important you need some understanding of governance and statecraft whereby you are neutral between religious paths and also neutral between religion and irreligion the second point is very important because that to a large extent helps us avoid the definition of religion itself so for example uh, just to take an extreme example in a bar you can't allow them to discriminate entry on the basis of say race or caste right but many bars allow certain days to be only let's say for women right we understand intuitively that sex is a different locus of discrimination and more acceptable one often compared to say more of a uh, say race or caste so you know rajiv and i for example we take the example we take the position in the book that sabri mala may let us respect the unique position unique customs uh, of you know a certain age of say menstruating women not being allowed in the temple because there are many other mandirs where men are not allowed we give the example of assam and pushkar and so on and so forth so but on the other hand we will not take the position on the on say on caste so as you can see it, it gets very nuanced very quickly but the most important thing is between religious paths and religion and irreligion both according to me yeah but then what do you make of this uh, argument you just made it in a passing reference that secularism is actually christianity it, it it's been made nowadays especially on our side of the aisle No, no, that, that's what I said. I'm mean, saying people say that, and I my response to that always is, "Ki bhaiya, jo ek context se aaya, jaise vaccine bhi udhar se context se aaya, virus bhi usi context se aaya." Now, Christianity is just one of the two proselytizing Abrahamic religions, right? And Christianity has been in India for more than a thousand years. Islam has been in India for more than a thousand years. And as Rajiv and I, we give the example, even if there were no Abrahamic religions in India, now we have a democratic government. We don't have a personalized monarchy. We have an all India government. We don't have local feudatory lords so which temple would you give more money to which pant or which sampradaya would you give less money to right so you still need some uh, philosophy whereby you are not going to discriminate between pants as well now if you don't want to use the word secularism for that honestly that's not a hill i want to die on but i'm saying you have to call it something right call it something else i'm okay if you come up with some other term i'm not hung up on the term but you need to be indifferent between different paths and between religion and irreligion that's the point yeah actually uh, and this has been my bone of contention with everyone who in india seems to hate the word secularism this is i i think it's immature a 
and this is my point of view i by no means am i saying this is harsh or rajiv's point of view because uh, tomorrow uh, somebody might you know, you know misuse another word uh, what are we supposed to do we keep dumping words all the time we don't uh, at a conceptual level somewhere the uh, as the title of the chapter suggests kushal the kind of practitioners and the exactly who have propagated this concept have themselves debased it yes uh, we need to save secularism from the secularists that's why i loved the name of the chapter like the title is so amazing but rajiv ye mere ko ek baat bata like to continue from what harsh said we are living in a democratic india like it or not i mean for some people they me they dream of a monarchical india i don't know <laughs> best of luck to those people but we like democracy democracies are nice we get uh, you know all our things in order no democracy is perfect we are a work in progress and i am not even so uh, as such attached to the idea maybe tomorrow uh, there will be a better governance system than democracy also i am open to the idea you are always open to the option but uh, democracies are far better than monarchies now if you are a democracy what system can we manage other than secularism as we understand because like her said rajiv how will the state define which food is fine because maybe if it was a vaishnava state onion and garlic are not fine then then uh, then uh, what are we going to do all the other people have to adopt vaishnavism as the state religion and to say no it will be decentralized like decentralized where like are you going to create vaishnava ghettos shaiva ghettos um, you're going to create charvaka ghettos so basically you're saying you create ghettos right if you don't want secularism yeah i, I think so inevitably uh, that you're calling it ghettos but people like to live near people who are like them let's just uh, i think i would just put it and say that let's face the facts uh, it always happens in that way in probably all urban kind of uh, uh, regions and uh, like people essentially choose their neighbors right like they want to be comfortable in the surroundings and one of the ways humans draw comfort i think is choosing to live near people who are like them and you know have similar cultures similar habits whatever a similar class often of course uh so so i think it's a mix i i do think decentralization matters there uh even if even if something has to be kind of uh mitigated banned uh, forbidden you know these are extreme measures uh but in the same way that you know uh we don't apply extreme measures on a state wide or nation wide scale right you localize it as much as possible you do it on a highly targeted manner uh if that step has to be taken so in the same way i think if if that has to be done it should be done at a highly uh, localized level preferably at the level of municipal government uh, and of course i mean at the i think the the higher up you go in government the more federal a government is the more principle driven it should be but then my question was more related to the federal government level if i was to come again over here uh, and that's clumsy right so so if we i mean someone sitting in delhi can't make a law that applies to all of india or exactly. rather someone sitting in delhi should make very few laws and very few rules that apply to the entire country uh and and this kind of micromanagement i mean frankly we even see it in things like uh whenever a government gets into that level of detail it uh, kind of self uh, uh it becomes a exercise in self mockery right we are seeing that somewhere with what's happening with the gst nowadays yeah but tax hai aur uska kitna tax hai 
So, मतलब I, I, I get it. So, I get what so, you're so, saying. So, at a union level, I mean, we can't have this kind of micromanagement of. Uh... So, my my question is different, but this is a governance problem, Harsh. Where do you uh, define the lines? Like in India, India is a very top-down country. I don't think so. India is a very bottom-up kind of a governance system. Yes, we have, uh, we have some freedoms for the state level. We have a state list. We have a central list. We have a concurrent list. I know I get all of those things from a governance perspective. But uh, let's say, like in India, the cow slaughter laws are very decentralized. Some states have it. Some states don't. Right. But then where do you draw the line? It's it's a demarcation problem, right? A demarcation problem which comes naturally from an outcome where even in a state, right, they're not just all people who have a cow slaughter problem or all people who like to eat beef. What what do you do to the minorities within the minorities then? No, I, th- I think as Rajiv said, localized to the extent possible is better than the level above, right? And to your to your question directly, there is no one right answer. The answer is as local as possible is better. But I think we're getting a bit lost in the weeds here. I think since I think you very uh, briefly mentioned what happened in uh, Kashi today with respect to the judiciary. Yes. I was uh, going to connect all of this to Kashi yeah, and the judiciary. Yeah, so I, I think we should get back to that for a second because obviously, you know, at the end of the day, the three of us love to discuss abstract stuff. But relevant see, everywhere any orthodox interpretation of Islam and Christianity, wherever they are in the majority, hate secularism. It is not indifference. There are some strands of Christianity now uh, within the US, especially, who have kind of come up to with some kind of ideological uh, maneuvering and they say actually uh, secularism is good in the sense that if we don't have the freedom to sin, then would our uh, good good deeds also be considered good effectively? I mean, Acton Institute and so on and so forth. But by and large, historically, for Christianity and especially for Islam, almost all over the world, wherever they are in any kind of dominant situation, secularism is absolutely, in ideological terms, persona non grata. Right? And I think this is what Sita Ram Goel says. This is what, uh, you know, Girilal Jainji said in his book, The Hindu Phenomenon. It is only in India that these two kind of proselytizing uh, religions, which together constitute, if not the global majority, very close to the global plurality, who are so hell-bent on secularism here. And and it is Hindus who are tr- constantly trying to explain or defend. No, and and also it's, I, think, I think also it's only in India where those who are kind of uh, practitioners, propagators of religion-based orthodoxy, are also the biggest supporters of secularism. Yes. That should give us pause. That should give us that immense pause. Yeah, it should give us pause that how is this happening where in other countries, you know, those who are of the or, uh, orthodox religious school of thought, they are against secularism. In our country, they are for secularism. So, And, and, and just to add one single very relevant point to Rajiv's point, and I'll give it back to Rajiv in a second, ki just aap socho ek bar. Ki jo people, the, the subtext is ki if there is no secularism, we are being persecuted, etc. etc. Here, the minorities want full freedom of proselytization, and the majority is trying to pass anti conversion laws. Just think about it for a second. Generally, in, in most numbers based common sense, right, you would think that the majority thinks it has a dominant position to begin with and would therefore prefer or support 
free conversions here it's the complete opposite so you can so you can understand you know where we are already coming off uh, to begin with uh, back to you rajiv no yeah so this i think the situation kind of speaks to the inversion of what secularism should be and what kind of over the decades our governments have turned it into no uh, the biggest problem in the ganwapi case is in ayodhya it still needed a lot of archaeological digging to make the case in the case of the ganwapi uh, you know temple it's right at your face like it's it, it i don't know how else to say it's like a big middle finger in both hands on a daily basis staring at you i don't know how else to say this i'm sorry i, I mean there is no other way to say this like whether it's the nandi or or many other things it's the motifs on the temple all over the temple arch temple uh, compound on the temple walls on the pillars uh, outside you don't even have to go inside like in many cases you have to go inside chip the walls you know slowly but surely chip the walls get it out and and then you get to know which is in the case of ayodhya like i i always tell people you should read the ram mandir judgment which is like a thousand play, pages plus and you just look at the archaeological records and the kind of effort that went into understanding the evidence deciphering the evidence what methodologies were used ganwapi is going to be so easy if we are going to test it by that parameter because even a novice will just look at it and you go ye to mandir hai it's it's that obvious Maybe and this is even again before we go into the legal aspect even before we go to the jurisprudence technical aspect you know it is it is again telling that we are all starting from a position whereby we have to explain and prove this and say story you know it's a middle finger but it is the middle finger it is a gigantic middle finger the default expectation should be that the muslim community of india automatically comes ahead and says guys this is as obvious as day ye mandir ko tod ke masjid banaya tha aurangzeb ne hinduo ko humiliate karne ke liye banaya tha is masjid ko hum paak nahi mante no pun intended and therefore we want to give it back to you that should be the default expectation the fact that even we have we are our our starting point is legal shows that the relations the harmony it's all already completely broken we are not talking to each other we directly talking about court and i think that's really 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 tragic so that comes to the point because one of the core aspects of uh, indian secularism has been the idea of reconciliation but can yeah, there be reconciliation part, without part, truth there is a very interesting uh, anecdote maybe it's apocryphal uh from the uh, time of the integration of princely states so i think uh, when uh, sardar patel at that time was working very hard right to persuade all the princely states and their you know the kings and the queens and the regents that you should join india and why should you join india so he was going literally one by one to 200 plus uh, principalities and kingdoms and talking to all of them so the story goes that uh, there was some russian visitor uh who came to see him at that time and he commented you know why are you going through all this pain you know in our part of the world we just eliminate them and that's the end of the story uh and and but but that speaks to i think the cultural ethos of india somewhere that uh even even in a situation like when the country was being integrated 
uh, or other our post partition a united india was being sort of united uh, politically sort of integrated in that manner by sardar patel i'm sure this thought would have never crossed his mind that we can just eliminate all the uh, uh, people who are uh, sort of uh, kings and royals and just take over the territories so i don't think so that is just the indian ethos i feel that uh, it is not proper to sort of uh, assert oneself in this way and uh, the the methods uh, matter just as well as the ends do uh, and and you know all means cannot be justified so and in in a way that is part of our ethos and something to celebrate also i feel yeah but where can you have reconciliation in a society which is where i believe the failure of indian secularism that you guys have pointed out so beautifully there is no reconciliation without the truth right and and if the story of indian secularism has been a story of denialism the denialism of the uh, i i have maintained this consistently in my podcast in my own monologues or on my other social media statements india has two major negationisms that are practiced one is done by the so called people who call themselves secular ek to ladies and gentlemen i i hate to break it to you individuals cannot be secular you can be a secularist like i am you can't be secular secular means tum blank slate ho दिमाग में भूसा नहीं भी होता है लोगों के तो मतलब ब्लैंक स्लेट नहीं हो सकते लोग सो प्लीज स्टॉप कॉलिंग योर सेल्स आई एम सेक्युलर यू हैव टू से आई एम सो आई एम अ सेक्युलरिस्ट बोलो बेशर्मो आई एम सेक्युलर मत बोलो बट टू ऑन अ वेरी सीरियस नोट दिस टू नेगेशनिज्म प्रैक्टिस इन इंडिया द स्टॉक होम सिंड्रोम साइड से um islamism had no record in india that is questionable and the post traumatic stress disorder i says uh casteism was not a problem in india now you want to call it jati varna jo kalna karna you know people always try to use uh, buga buga in in mental gymnastics and word 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 jugglery to deny the my point is there are two major discriminations in the record of india indian secularism has conveniently picked the denialism of the record of islamism when it comes to these things now harsh on the question of truth and reconciliation how do we reconcile if there is no truth is my question harsh no, you are muted no i i think uh, you know the thing is we don't really know about actually hindus mostly do not actually have an understanding of islam um in a very comprehensive sense by and large i think muslims by and large in india do understand hinduism for various reasons they are in a minority they are more likely to surround be surrounded by hindus etc and hindus have and it's changing though with social media when sometimes it goes to the other extreme how many have read even the quran in translation and if you read the quran in translation and our friend anand ranganathan is always <laughs> quoting this or that verse here and there on social media number ye number wo but the point is not to kind of essentialize any text including the quran but when there are, is there a clear pattern i think a literal reading at least would show that there is to put it gently not a lot of respect for polytheists right there's not a lot of respect for not just non believers but specifically polytheists specifically 
مشرق اور بت پرست کے بعد میں بولنے لگے اردو میں اینڈ لاڈ آف وچ وچ ایکچولی اپلائز ٹو ہندوز ناؤفی اسکول آف سنی سونی جرسپوڈنس Uh, I think it will putting a lipstick on the pig kind of thing but uh, you know I I just I just think that I don't want to make the job of our well-meaning reformist muslims more difficult than it already is yeah. but I would simply say that you know it is a lot of things which hindus don't know is said effectively about them or people like them globally paganisms were the were the reality before the two abrahamic religions took over and polytheism and, and idol worship was very common um and unfortunately if the if you are going to inculcate that kind of thoughts regularly um then it is going to cause a schism the most obvious example of that is the vande mataram uh the vande mataram in the national assembly already only two paras were kept as the national song of india so some of the more quote unquote offensive aspects because it was uh, written by bonkiam about uh, kind of an agricultural hindu uprising against the muslim sultans of bengal I think Muslim sultans of Bengal were used metaphorically for the British in some sense. But be as it may, it was the only the less offensive part was kept. But the point that the you know people like Ovesi say is that it is against our religion to say Vande Matram because we are bowing to effectively an idol of the country. And uh, even though you know in Pakistan they would use words like Madhre Vatan etc. and you know very similar words. But in India it becomes a religious theocratic difference. they sing it huh, in pakistan many many people sing go, people can go and check out that song sindh muhi ji amma it is sung by even current day pakistani bands uh, so aisa kuch nahi hai ki wo nahi gaate but now we go into the second title of of your book which is called the civilizational republic i want to touch upon that aspect also now raji what do you guys mean when you say the civilizational republic because again indian secularists will come back to you and say india is a nation of states that was created by the british and there was no such thing as india before that in fact uh, uh, rahul gandhi who now is going to be back uh, uh, in the parliament today to uh, supreme court uh, uh, judgments ka judgment nahi bolunga stay order supreme court ne de diya hai ek high court ke order pe gujarat high court ke order pe now rahul gandhi can can you know use uh, arnold and say i'm back when he reaches the parliament again and uh, rahul gandhi states india is just a union of states there was no indian civilizational identity and you guys in your book say a new idea of india the civilizational republic so bhai decide kar lo rahul gandhi right hai ki tum log right ho 
नहीं सो द फ्रेज कुशल इनफैक्ट इन द फर्स्ट एडिशन ऑफ द बुक इट वॉज इंडिविजुअल राइट इन सिविलाइजेशनल स्टेट एंडेडन वी चेंज इट टू सिविलाइजेशनल रिपब्लिक which i think more pithily captures the sentiment the idea that we are trying to uh, put out there so uh, obviously civilizational uh, entails that india was not created in 1947 i think this is a fundamental uh, difference in opinion probably uh, between many of the uh, sort of uh, those who propagate the idea of india uh, and those who say that india was kind of created by the british like you said uh in 1947 and before that it never even existed as a country and so on and so forth uh and and our counterpoint uh to that and in fact uh, as we expound on extensively in the book is that india was a very ancient and kind of uh, continuity of civilizational identity over thousands of years that we see in india in terms of cultural practices uh, language uh and even other kinds of markers including genetic markers now uh we have seen as scientific evidence has been emerging uh so so that continuity cannot be denied and those who claim that is of 1947 mein hua tha aur uske pehle to aise tha sab kuch i think it's kind of uh, probably objectively uh false it is not accurate to claim that and the aspect of the republic is obviously the aspiration that we have of india as a rules based kind of uh democratic uh uh republic where our elected representatives make the rules and those rules apply to everyone as citizens of india as individuals and not as members of a group so so i think that in 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 uh, two or three words i think uh the subtitle really captures what we want the book to say uh and and that's why we kind of condensed it further from that uh, mouthful of a subtitle into just three words kushal to what rajiv has said is often this kind of constitutional or civic patriotism is seen as an opposite of an of cultural nationalism civilizational awareness right the two are often portrayed as opposites so what rajiv and i have tried to do to a large extent in the book is that actually the two may in some ways be opposite but in many many more fundamental ways are actually overlapping and in some ways actually the same and to convey that point more visually also the for example the first edition and now the second edition have paintings from the original copy of the constitution of india the first one uh, obviously had you know ram lakshman and sita the second one here has uh, bhagwan krishna and arjun uh, and the point was our constitution makers did not see that long civilizational history of india as being required to be deleted in order for a new civic patriotism etc to be created uh, you know that is the that is the raw substance which you have molded into a certain format for the present day and age and which is why the very first chapter is called india that is bharat right which is the first four words of the constitution um uh, so so therefore it is very important to understand that the that unlike nehruvians gandhians and ambedkarites today what we write in the book at least nehru gandhi and ambedkar never saw even nehru never saw india as something being overnight created in 1947 they very much saw it as a very kind of ancient story of which its latest chapters latest avatar was this republic and therefore we thought you know the civilizational republic because in a way china is uh, now xi jinping is trying it's not really civilizational republic um 
it's still officially communist. Uh, in the case of Europe, they had the European nation state sense where they had to be homogeneous in terms of language and race, etc. Until recently when multiculturalism came. And India is much more like all of Europe together than any one particular country of Europe, right? And Indian states actually correspond more to European countries in terms of Punjab and Tamil Nadu being like maybe Poland or Italy and Spain. So, but what keeps it together is dharma. And, uh, you know, individual rights in a civilizational state as the first edition captures it pithily. Uh, what we noticed was where in the point our aim there was to uh, show individual rights and group rights as opposites uh, for me and Rajiv. But I think people uh, thought of it more in terms of rights and duties. So just to, just to clarify that and make it even shorter, decivilizational republic, because there is really no large country that is both a democracy and very self-consciously an ancient civilization. So even though the title has a new idea of India, the subtitle has the civilizational republic. And there's something very interesting that you guys talk about over here. So I'll come back to you, Harsh, over here. You know, I, I saw parallels of this. In fact, I discussed this with Shadi Hamid and I asked him a question based on his book. You know, he's written this new book called The Problem of Democracy. I would highly recommend everyone to go and read that book. He, he talks about America, the Middle East, and he says how, you know, and before that he had written a book on Muslim exceptionalism. Shadi is a liberal, you know, pretty much liberal guy. He's a practicing Muslim and he talks about how civilizational states function and he tries and, and it's very interestingly, I read his book and I asked, basically you're making the case for a civilizational state for Muslims. And then how can you have a problem with the civilizational case if Hindus talk about it? And Shadi had honestly had no answer. And he admitted to it. To his credit, he had no answer. In fact, I met him in DC this time too. And he was like, man, that was a very good question that you asked me. And I'm thinking about it. But on the question of this idea of civilizations, where, where does one draw the line then is, is the question. Because the moment you say a civilization state... The, the retort to that is, Harsh, that you want a theocratic state. Yeah, I mean, see, the point is, uh, again, Rajiv and I write in the book, and often we say here and there that you know, when somebody says, we're fundamentalist, so my point is, which type of fundamentals are fundamentalist, right? <laughs> so yes, I'm a civilizationalist, I'm a fundamentalist, but the point comes down to what kind of civilization or what kinds of fundamentalist, right? Civilizations are different. Indian civilization by its nature can not only be, can not only not be theocratic, by its very nature, it's anti-theocratic. The operating DNA of the Indian civilization is pluralism. Right. So pluralism in terms of the, I mean, the most obvious example of that is that, you know, we are polytheistic society or we can call it, uh, you know, henotheist, which is basically, you know, multiple gods, but understanding that underlying that there might be one underlying reality. I don't want to get into the semantics of that, but we visualize gods or goddesses or those forces of nature in different ways and worship to them in different ways. Not only we, in the same family, different individuals would do that. So we have a Kul Devta concept, we have Ish Devta concept, right? It's not the same. There is a personal div uh, deity and there is a family deity and there is a Gram Devta. There's a the city or village you come from kind of deity. Like in Mumbai, there is Mumbai Devi and so on and so forth. So, so this this very idea that you can have, how would you create a theocracy? Uh, with which God would you kind of prioritize? And which, as you were saying, Vaishnav Banadoge 
or we were discussing the need of secularism. So uh, this is this is such an obvious. I'm not saying you. I'm saying people who do try to say that. What does it mean to be a theocratic Hindu state? And the most that people can come up with is ki beef band. So beef ke baraat mein maine rajju hum bola hai ki thik hai to ap horse, dog or cat to ap America mein kaat ke nahi kha sakte na. आप उसको इमोशनल रीजंस के लिए बोल लो इधर आप रिलीजियस बोलो वो ठीक है वो किंतु परंतु की बात है वो है तो बेसिकली दोनों फंडामेंटली सेम थिंग बट बट एंड एनीथिंग एल्स ऑन फ्री स्पीच वी हैव रिटन वेरी स्ट्रांगली फॉर फ्री स्पीच वी हैव रिटन फॉर गे राइट्स एज इंडिविजुअल राइट्स सो आई डोंट अंडरस्टैंड वेयर डस थ्योक्रेसी कम फ्रॉम राजू डू यू वांट टू काइंड ऑफ ऐड आई जस्ट आई फाइंड द क्वेश्चन टू बी वेरी डेलिबरेटली काइंड ऑफ कि दूसरे चोर की दारी में तिनका दूसरे पे डाल दो template which historically as we have seen uh you know has been kind of exclusionary and discriminatory and all of those things in response to which secularism arose as a concept one more question that always has been raised when both of you can take it up is that why indian secularism has its uh, I've I've heard this argument from academic kinds uh, in discussions off the record. Why India and its secularism has to be different from the West is, and I'm not making this up. They they have actually given this argument, so I want you guys to take it head on. Is because India has a unique history of discrimination. I am not making this up. They have actually said this to me. What what kind of discrimination? India has discriminated against. its own people on the basis of caste i'm just stating it there and that's why you cannot i'm not making this up this academic person said you cannot trust indians no i mean of course that is the colonialist argument right that basically we can't yeah. trust you to self govern and i mean see again caste is very different rajiv and i write in the book also that by definition you cannot change your caste right the, since the definition of caste is linked to your birth identity you almost tautologically cannot change it whereas at least theoretically and often not so theoretically you can change your religion right so the two are different things and uh, of course the discrimination on the basis of caste happened you mentioned about denialism also i often write about it in social media but the reality has that india has a very strong if imperfect affirmative action program from the starting of the republic and uh, people who would right, then say for centuries there have been hindu reform movements right no one for millennia actually whenever whenever these injustices have read their heads there have been various reformers who have come around and said that this is wrong uh and and you know many of them have been very successful in, er- in eradicating some of these vices so therefore uh, uh, basically because there is caste discrimination which was ameliorated or which has now been kind of partially some kind of historical reparations are being done in the form of formative action uska religion or secularism se kya lena dena mujhe samajh nahi aaya because uh, i think it's a unless it's a rhetorical point i mean 
no no they know. say uh, discrimination and the idea of discriminating is in the hand in the mindset and the very i am not making this up i was told this by a phd this student is it is in the very dna of india and especially certain indians then is basically sure, hindus bolna chahte the ha but i think this classic projection no again once again um nahi and and, and uh, i mean my counter question to such a uh, this thing would be such a assertion would be show me any human society which does not discriminate right is he trying to suggest that the west doesn't have discrimination i mean every society wrestles with these challenges especially one where there is a lot of diversity uh, as i mentioned the reality of humans is people like to stay with people who are like them is this the nature of uh, human beings uh, so so having said that uh, certain egregious actions certain kinds of institutionalized types of uh, discriminatory uh, behaviors those can and should be outlawed and have been outlawed no one is trying to say ki uh, you know you can carry on a certain behavior just because uh, like there is there is a you know you can wave a book or wave a thing and say that i'm allowed to do this as per this book so i will practice that and that's where actually the discussion frankly should be on what are the basic universal individual rights that everyone needs to have and that need to be guaranteed and protected by the government uh, based on uh, the individual as a uh, unit uh, unfortunately what we tend to do is go into uh, dividing up groups kaise ye caste ke liye ye hona chahiye इस रिलीजन के लिए ऐसा होगा इन लोगों के लिए ऐसा होना चाहिए इसको और, और इस तरह से सब झगड़ते रहते हैं कि किसको क्या मिलेगा वेर एज देर इज नो डिस्क्रिप्शन डिस्कशन ऑन द कैंड ऑफ यूनिवर्सल मिनिमम सॉर्ट ऑफ राइट्स एंड लॉज दैट शुड बी एप्लीकेबल टू एवरी वन वी हैव सॉर्ट ऑफ नेचुरल एक्सपेरिमेंट हियर Kushalan Rajiv is very simple to see. I mean, Pakistanis and Bangladeshis were Indians till what seventy six years ago, right? So we know the situation in terms of discrimination against religious minorities in Pakistan, uh, to large extent in Bangladesh as well. In Pakistan, by law, a non-Muslim cannot become uh, president or prime minister. Um, I mean, I, I think you did a podcast recently, Kushal, about the new amendments to the blasphemy laws there. <laughs> पाकिस्तानीजिशन and therefore what is it that is causing discrimination if one were to answer this academic query in a kind of quasi academic fashion i think the answer is very clear the answer is very clear the difference is the pluralistic influence of hindu dharma uh, the reason india what remains of india is united is again the the commonality of hindu dharma so these things honestly should not be taboo the way i mean they're already less taboo than they were before 2014 but they should not be taboo because this is not in any way against any indian muslim or christian today if he or she does not want anything to do with what aurangzeb did or what the goa inquisition did how is it his or her fault it has got nothing to do with him if we all want to this coexist under secular laws uniform civil code rajiv and i write a lot about it in third chapter we want similar laws same laws if we want universal rights uh what is the issue there is no issue 
the issue is people who actually don't want that to divert from that they want to keep on this rhetoric so uh, right now the big question is should there be the same laws for all indians when it comes to families like it is in the us like it is in the uk like it is in most countries of the world and we have what was known in the ottoman empire as the millet system the millet system was the different millets the different communities had their own laws but then they did not have a national welfare state and the state was very clearly and classically islamic so idhar aapko central level mein state ko hindu nahi banne dena aapko welfare pura rakhna hai lekin laws aapko ottoman millet wale chahiye ha to this way also it works for you that way also it works for you so it's, it really there is absolutely no bigotry in any way whatsoever that my understanding of hindu nationalism endorses or rajiv's endorses i am very clear all indians should live in peace and harmony it is very simply if you don't uh, endorse theocratic discrimination and by extension their application to laws there's really nothing to fight over so actually someone did ask this question hers how do you think ucc will change indian minorities See, this question comes a lot. Kushal, uh, one, uh, one angle question is that Hindu ko kya pada hai? First of all, I think all Indian citizens at one level share a common identity of being Indians, right? I, I have, I'm not cynical enough to give up on the Indian identity in total. Let me be very clear about that. What, what is very simple is first and foremost, you're saying something about the minority within the minority, right? The Hindu laws have already been, by and large, fully reformed. I'm saying by and large. I'm saying one or two exceptions will remain. but by and large gender equality has been enshrined in all hindu personal and family laws in fact the amendments happened rajiv till as recently as the early part of this millennium in terms of full equality of inheritance etc and log bahut bar example dete hain ki bhai wo hindu undivided family ka kya wo ek tax benefit hai jo hindu ko milta hai mera jawab bahut simple hota hai maine kaha ki usko indian undivided family kar do ab family ko extend kar do that's not really a point where you need to go and fight so the and then the classic answer is wo ucc ke andar secret code kya hai bina dekhe hum kaise endorse kar dein to maine kaha bhai kya endorse karna hai laws will be similar there there will be uh, men and women will be allowed to have one spouse gender will be equal we already have goa where there is a uniform civil code we already have the reformed hindu code we already have the special marriage act it is really details we can argue but really it's a no brainer what we are heading towards the muslims of india the orthodox as uh, and the leadership of the muslims of india want a separate identity to some extent it's also there in sikhs and christians uh, christians and sikhs now they want a separate identity and therefore it's a matter of having our own laws a kind of a nation within a nation and therefore you know partition ho gaya but uske baad bhi ek separate hamara kind of enclave internal reh gaya that's the psychological separatism we are talking about and that is what the battle is once ucc happens it's a giant step towards mentally integrating the first few steps of all indians removing this uh, divide that is between uh, the majority and the minority no it's very interesting on the ucc subject i did a podcast with amna and um, uh, arshia acha arshia. No, no, arshia and amna two muslim women and i asked them let's say there is no uniform civil code but today instead of sharia muslim women are governed by hindu code bill uh, will you take that the hindu code bill as it stands today both of them without flinching <laughs> said yes we would take the hindu code bill any time over what we are governed by under the sharia laws of india currently 
I mean, the answer lies when two Muslim women are giving that answer, right, Rajiv? No, absolutely. No, in fact, in the book, Kushal, we uh, quote extensively from uh, Justice M. C. Chagla, one of the most distinguished distinguished jurists of India. Uh, he has written in an autobiography on how you know this discriminatory aspect, this gender discrimination uh, inherent in not having a uniform civil code, how uh, damaging it is. And how Muslim Muslim women are not happy about it, and he had written this probably I don't know fifty or sixty years ago. Yeah, आज लिखते थे तो उनको भी communal संगी बोलते थे. And and this is what is the name of the Muslim reformist court? Uh, no, no, Rajiv, what is the name of the Muslim reformist court? The Maharashtrian uh, gentleman who died. Yes, Hamid Dalwai. Oh my God, you should read the kind of stuff Hamid Dalwai wrote, Kushal. And it's a tragedy that actually uh, the Muslim reformists have been practically scared. They have been scared within the community, uh, maybe not necessarily by the majority, but by definitely an influential uh, minority who seems dominant enough to be able to give threats. Because there is, as you and I know, many many people who do want to change. You gave the example of Amna and Arshia, um, and 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 which is why I believe once the UCC is a fait accompli, uh, the starting point changes, right? Then then because the moment you have religious laws. Then you need people to interpret those religions, right? Therefore, you'll always need a religious orthodoxy, because if there is a Muslim law, there is, a, and this was a big fight in the 1950s for Hindu reform. And what Shama Prasad Mukherjee said, ki bhai, you know, please, there was a traditionalist wing of the opposition, but the Shama Prasad Mukherjee uh, kind of opposition was just do it for all Indians. And uh, uh, there's a Congress leader who we quote in the beginning of the chapter. Um, I forget this gentleman from Sindh right now, blanking out on his name, who basically said, "I charge you, Pandit Nehru, with uh, with uh, with uh, with common uh, communalism, that you take it from me. The Muslims of India are ready to have uh, Acharya Kriplani ji. Uh, the Muslims of India are ready to have uh, reform as well, but you are only doing it for the Hindus. So this this is one of the biggest failures of uh, Nehru ji personally." And we can only speculate on what his motives were because. Yeah, 19- I, was, I was just going to talk about that, Harsh. So, Kushal, yeah. uh, on your part, podcast, uh, Doctor Ishtiak Ahmed has also appeared, right? Uh, the very, very distinguished uh, Swedish-Pakistani uh, political scientist and historian. So, in fact, uh, Doctor Ishtiak Ahmed has written this in a couple of places that uh, there was a compact between Nehru and some of the Muslim Orthodox groups. and it was very much driven by electoral considerations as well as in the post partition scenario probably for various reasons the government at that time basically said let's not take this up right now so so uh, ishtiak ahmed has very much written on this part ki why why did this happen for hindus and not for muslims the the civil the civil law reforms I mean, imagine. I mean, officially, polygamy is allowed for uh, Muslim men. Obviously, not for Muslim women. And every now and then, there is a case where a Muslim girl gets married at fifteen or sixteen, and then some high court says galat hai. Some high court says no, as per Sharia nineteen thirty seven, which in turn is based on codified version of uh, what Aurangzeb uh, managed. It, it, it is absolutely obnoxious that we are discussing that chhoda pandra saal ki ladki ka marriage uh, valid hai nahi. It, of course, it happens within Hindus also. but the state has a clear view that this is wrong underage marriage or polygamy uh, so it's i'm not saying just making the law will make these actual realities go away but the state at least has to have a very clear view that this is wrong and if you're saying it for a large section why can't you say it for the other section 
so so to me it's it's it, it is bizarre that actually the so called hindu bigots are the ones who are saying this and you then have to go and explain to the world that it is not bigotry i mean this is this is really 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 contrived in some very wicked fashion in fact i, I always say the indian state's refusal to do this till now was the biggest betrayal and the indian state cannot be forgiven for not having a uniform civil code because you have disenfranchised uh crores of women in this country you have disenfranchised them you have suppressed them P- i did a entire monologue on the ucc people talk about islamic laws oh my god look at the christian divorce laws man the 1870s act uh, that governs them especially if you're a catholic woman best of luck getting a divorce in this country best of luck i mean wow. that's all i can say the most horrendous me. divorce laws on planet earth are catholic divorce laws acha by the way harsh mujhe nahi malum tha main research mein ucc ke upar pata chala tekwal mein why sikho mein concept hi nahi hai divorce ka to iske liye wo hindu law ko ye karte hain to imagine kar agar ye separatism aur ho gaya to sikh auraton ka kya hoga divorce hi nahi hai concept hi nahi hai see now see it from the point of view slightly more empathetic point of view from the point of religious orthodoxy in minorities agar aapne bola hai ki religious personal laws ka option available hai indian constitutional framework mein despite the directive principles article 44 whatever it is if it is there you almost owe it to your fellow orthodoxy to fight for it right because because there is a muslim law how can you as a sikh for example of a particular understanding of what orthodox sikhism should be then not go and fight for your own separate laws the only way you say you cannot fight for it is because that option is not there in a different context for example uh, article 29 30 when you know our, our pseudo secularism led to minority schools being uh, being treated better than majority schools and which of course was exacerbated by right to education 93rd amendment etc etc brahmos at once one point in india in west bengal wanted to be considered a non hindu sect and many other hindu sects were cons- wanted to be considered as non hindu partially for this what i call regulatory arbitrage right you know basically ki yaar school khulna aasan hai agar apne hindu hi nahi mane jayenge to life bahut aasan ho jayega so why are we ourselves incentivizing this kind of fragmentation makes no sense yeah chalo abhi main questions leta hu rajiv pehla question ye kisi ne pucha hai um It's very specific. बंदे ने बुक पढ़ के क्वेश्चन पूछा है ऑन पेज फिफ्टी नाइन ऑफ योर बुक न्यू आइडिया यू से गवर्नमेंट माइट इम्पोज कोटाज इन प्राइवेट यूनिवर्सिटीज ऑलरेडी कोटाज आर सेवेंटी परसेंट नॉट ऑल कैन सेंड किड्स अब्रॉड लाइक रिच अलीड्स नो स्किन इन द गेम एंड डोंट केयर वॉट डू वी डू अबाउट दीज पॉलिसीज भाई पेज फिफ्टी नाइन में तुमने ऐसा क्या लिख दिया राजीव ओपनिंग पेज फिफ्टी नाइन एक्चुअली वेरी गुड इसके लिए मैंने बोला था हमेशा किताब साथ में रखा कर ऐसे चार बग पॉडकास्ट के ऐसे ऐसे खतरनाक व्यूअर होते हैं कि आपके ऐसे डेंजरस क्वेश्चन पूछ लेते हैं बुक पढ़ के बताओ तुमने क्यों लिखा है ये नहीं नहीं सो सो एक्चुअली इन दैट पार्ट वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट द कोटा फॉर इकोनॉमिकली वीकर सेक्शंस ईडब्ल्यूएस कोटा एज अ फॉर एग्जांपल सो सो दैट वाज द कॉन्टेक्स्ट एक्चुअली इट्स नॉट जस्ट एन एडिशनल कोटा बट इट्स स्पेसिफिकली मेंशनिंग अबाउट एसेंशियली नीड बेस्ड कोटा एंड Uh, i think this is the first time a quota was brought to the best of my knowledge for uh, people based on economic criteria okay he someone is from a poor family so they get a certain uh, affirmative action 
उसके पहले भी राइट टू एजुकेशन में कुशल वो मेजोरिटी रन and my point or rajesh's point very simple point is yeah why what, what is this khichri for example even somebody like ram guha came out against the christian quota rajiv being it being increased more than 50% in st stephens where most of the money comes from the taxpayer the exchequer so what is it that we are trying to prove ye chal raha hai chal raha hai koi zor se bol nahi raha isliye chal raha hai i mean if if tomorrow the st st stephens uh, cross subsidy of what is effectively now a fully christian institute because if half of these students are christians uh why should the average taxpayer fund that it doesn't make any sense whatsoever how is asking that question in any way wrong okay and and what do you guys in promote in a new idea of india do you guys promote a formal equality framework or a substantive equality framework so i think in the case of religion we promote a formal equality framework uh in the case of caste and gender Uh, we say that for the time bound for the time being uh so the affirmative action is basically substantive equality uh, and we need that uh, for the time frame in the long run obviously there also we need formal equality so we need some kind of sunset clauses but that by nature have to be subjective not objective yeah so uh, same viewer has asked who had asked that page 59 question do you Rajiv think that the ews uh, quota then was um, was a mistake uh no no i don't think it's a mistake in fact i think most of the quotas should over time be shifted to a need based format for example there's a debate going on on whether let's say second or third generation beneficiaries of the scst quota uh let's say if their parents or in some cases now even probably grandparents might have benefited from the quotas in the coming years so should those children also be allowed another quota another seat in an iit or an iim because they are from that uh, a category uh, it's a question worth debating i feel and uh, over time there should be some uh, reassessment of this the best case is that we move to a more and more kind of need based uh, affirmative action system ओके नाउ हर्ष दिस इज अ बिग क्वेश्चन सो आई कम टू यू बहुत लंबा लिखा हुआ है इन योर माइंड व्हाट इज एक्सैक्टली द डिफरेंस बिटवीन बिकॉज यू स्पोक अबाउट इट डिफरेंस बिटवीन धार्मिक एंड एब्राहमिक एवरी सिविलाइजेशन एक्सक्लूड्स थिंग्स देयर इज नथिंग विदाउट सम फॉर्म ऑफ एक्सक्लूजन कैन यू प्लीज explain this beyond the base level and expound on the core differences but well, i'll say we only exclude exclusionary aspects <laughs> this is very similar to kind of the popper framework right 
that do not tolerate the intolerant as he wrote in the open society and its enemies the famous paragraph that by now has gone viral on the internet for in various different contexts over the last 10 years i know so it's very simple to understand like you know as uh, me you rajiv have discussed kind of mutual respect is at the core of it so i think basically to use a christian term salvation to use a dharmic term moksha it is at the end of the day personalized or individualized and of course we can have group and community features um absolutely it has very important family aspects but if i feel that this is right for me and i am focused on that i'm supposed to say you are doomed for eternal perdition because you are not doing or believing things the way i think you should i think we are within the so long as that is not violated we are in larger sense in the frame of dharma i mean of course in a very larger sense cosmic sense dharma and rata then you go to the metaphysical uh, that which sustains etc but coming a bit more concrete that's what it really means and therefore in my sense dharmic is universal term is the only universalism that is not homogenized and hinduism is only the kind of indian idiom or dharma crossed with bharatiya sanskriti it's a subset within that it can have we can have further subsets of various puns etc so so for me dharma in that very large sense is basically everything that is not those two proselytizing abrahamic religions from a spiritual theological point of view there is a social lens as well of course and we can debate if you know if, if if saying somebody was born in a certain family he must only clean toilets is dharmic now according to me that is also not dharmic because that also does not fulfill the criteria of mutual respect but then that is more of a sociological lens not a theological lens as it is classically understood so 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 my view dharma is in a very broad sense whatever is not abrahamic therefore becomes dharmic in that sense yeah but uh, don't you think there could be a overlap between some things abrahamic and dharmic no of course i think i think the Jew, jewish case is a classic example of uh, which kind of is on both sides because they do consider themselves the chosen people they have the concept of a one jealous god but then they do not really have the concept of aggressive proselytization so it becomes kind of an ethnic identity right and uh, they are therefore not saying that the gentile who does not believe in our understanding of god uh, needs to be saved because they're not trying to do that and i i'm okay i i personally think that's fine because then it's on this a classic borderline case where the mosaic distinction begins where it ends uh and and then to be very honest you know like abrahamic we are only talking in, in a very kind of core orthodox sense uh there are many self identifying christians today uh, who would be on the pew survey tell you that you know there could be multiple paths to salvation but they also identify themselves as christian so which is why i said earlier on that we must not in that sense in a long term sense give up on the micro minority of reformist muslims also however difficult their job is because uh, trust me what now self identifying christians in the west are claiming themselves to believe in was definitely not considered christian till about 100 years ago i mean the second vatican council happened in the 1960s so on and so forth in catholicism and protestant many many reforms have happened so things can change but in the very orthodox classical sense what is not abrahamic is dharmic okay then uh, somebody has asked harsh uh, the government trying free market capitalism model for years but yet we don't see a lot of industrialization or manufacturing why not uh, why shouldn't the government go for the chinese or vietnam state led capitalism model i would say let rajiv answer this rajiv do you want to go for it 
where is free market capitalism show it to me <laughs> no, no true scotsman <laughs> no, i am not sure i quite agree with that characterization uh, but but yeah i mean what what the person is suggesting is in some ways i guess uh, with some combination of uh, you know trade protectionism industrial policy etc india is now implementing that i would suggest uh, earlier earlier we didn't have trade barriers in that same way uh, and there are many critics of this policy of course uh, but but as we ex- as we have written in chapter 4 of the book uh, probably the india's size merits a different approach versus a smaller country that should be open to all free trade and uh, so like also what happened today for example rajiv what happened yesterday sorry ah uh, the 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 tariffs on or rather the the licensing of imports right for laptops and tablets so somewhere uh, i mean there have been a lot of people criticizing that uh, i think i think this is probably the next step for electronics manufacturing in india we need companies in india to sort of start sort of making uh, some of these electronics onshore uh, if 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 that requires some measure of industrial policy a country like india will pursue that path and just to quickly add on to that kushal uh, what rajiv said uh, just because the word licensing is used does not mean it's back to the license raj license raj may foreign companies one yeah it, it, the, the whole the whole uh, yeah it's it's so uh, silly the whole ंगे For example, the uh, Citizenship Amendment Act should not have been called CA. It should have been called the Refugee Naturalization Act, right? It we, we, there are many things where we just do not communicate well enough. It's not like we owe anybody an explanation outside India, especially, especially to non-citizens. But we can communicate better. For example, the Republicans in the 1990s stopped calling the inheritance tax inheritance tax, and they started calling it the death tax. तो रिटोरिकल पॉइंट वाज कि इंसान पैदा होकर भी टैक्स देता है जीते हुए भी टैक्स देता है मरते हुए भी टैक्स देगा क्या एंड दैट इज हाउ दी काइंड ऑफ वन दैट पब्लिक परसेप्शन एंड एंड व्हाट वाज सिंपली टू हेल्प द माइनॉरिटीज ऑफ आवर सराउंडिंग कंट्रीज इन द केस ऑफ सीए टू हिस्टोरिकल रिस्पॉन्सिबिलिटी इट बिकेम इन सम वेरी सफिस्टिकेट पब्लिकेशन ऑल्सो एज एफ वी आर टेकिंग अवे दिटीजनशिप ऑफ इंडियन माइनॉरिटीज एंड आई थिंक एंड देर ऑन दिस पॉइंट ऑल्सो Uh, we have to un- because of that track record explain ye licensing wo license raj nahi hai please khali license word sunke uh, do not respond ki aapne ek word sun diya and therefore it kharab nahi and, and the experience of the last 2 uh, 3 years uh, in smartphone manufacturing uh, shows the proof is in the pudding right it, we have we, you can see what india has achieved over 10 billion dollars worth of exports of just iphones uh and and uh, now you know there is a push for 20% of the overall iphone production capacity globally to come from india that these are huge numbers we are talking probably north of 50 billion dollars a year just in iphone exports and within every phone also every year we are increasing the localization content okay. absolutely so so, so uh, foxconn recently announced that they will be setting up a large component production facility 
so would all of this happen with a with zero tariffs or with no industrial policy uh, chances are we would only have galloping imports aapne itna pli ka itna billion dollar diya do teen saal mein kitne jobs ban gaye to maine kaha yaar this is like a classic long gestation project it is like saying ki for the last 15 years you building dedicated freight corridor aapko kitna train chal gaya us pe it's it's a company and i would even add on this actually that ultimately so as we kind of write in the book also trade will be subsidiary to foreign relations absolutely and, and we we can't have a situation where india is continuously importing all kinds of electronics from china uh that simply cannot be allowed to continue we will pull it back we will pull it we will apply all measures that are necessary to pull it back that means some degree of import restriction or licensing Uh, that that too has come and will be implemented Saam so yeah so so i think ab ab isme to koi debate nahi rahi ki china ke sath uh, there is no uh, hindi chini bhai bhai anymore unfortunately there is a return of industrial policy in europe and america as well in fact in many ways narendra modi wa- uh, led this revolution so, so on that on that point of labeling harsh they are very clever uh, they ah. call it trade defense instruments <laughs> कंसल्टेंट्स I mean, you you only have to look at the galloping figures on FDI coming into India, uh, yeah. and then uh, you know picking up like some law and order incident in some corner of India and pretending that someone who's a serious investor or a serious uh, business sort of uh, uh, kind of uh, someone who's putting up industrial capacity in India is going to call up their quote unquote political risk consultant is just rubbish. Just on that point, quickly before we go to the next question, Kushal, I know it's getting a bit late. One thing that is very important in the book, which we did not cover in the discussion so far, is the balance between state and society, and by extension, developing state capacity. What we always keep on because we mentioned about law and order situations. Uh, Rajiv Obliki mentioned it right now. We are seeing the situation in New earlier in Manipur. Free speech, we always have a debate. So it is very, very important, and I think India being poor per capita is less and less of an excuse with every passing day. to justify that because the upside of that is huge now gurgaon jaisi jagah mein ya gurgaon ke surroundings mein agar aap section 144 laga rahe ho ya internet temporarily band kar rahe ho imagine the economic damage that has happened or can happen right so at some mm-hmm. point we have to invest in state capacity and I, hopefully in, uh, in the third term of narendra modi which seems more and more likely that will that will be prioritized administrative reforms judicial reforms police reforms even though they fall under the states you can incentivize them through fiscal means at least augmenting their capacity at least having more sensitivity towards uh, females when they are being interrogated etc or being protected at least having more kind of body cameras just just go to the best of the world uh, operating procedures right now we, we this is something have many more cctv cameras not just in cities but on highways etc ye ek acha investment hai jisse bahut sari problems downstream can be solved or mitigated this must be done this is one of those no brainer kind of low lying fruits which is still there to be picked up i think state capacity ka sabse bada proof i i don't know how many times i have shown this image by shamika ravi 
This is the total cases registered under riots 1970 to 2021. This was your baseline in 1970s, right? It peaked in 1980s, goes down. Then 1990s, it goes up slightly again. It nose dives under NDA one, completely yeah. nose dives. Slightly picks up again in UPA, nose dives again in NDA two. Now obviously you'll see a slight uptick now, slight uptick and then it will stay there listen india i don't know why people find it so hard to believe when i tell them india is actually becoming well, there's also the book we quoted on twitter right uh, yeah internal security in india security in india right so yeah, and, and on that i don't i don't mean to sort of uh, poke uh, sort of any think tanker too much but you know that 2004 2008 period was when investment was pouring into india right yeah. and side by side the cases against rioting were going up so so i, I don't know honestly what do these people do all day uh, they sit and make all these blith comments on social media and their intellectual output is close to zero no uh, anyway question let's go to the next question because once we get on think tankers it's not going to end <laughs> Rajiv, Rajiv, because think tank follows a both Rajiv and his love for think tankies. We can have some DC It's very interesting. I found out recently that if you know they, they talk about free markets, Australia, you know what they did, right? They slowed down the visa process of every other thing, but they fastened, they made an express visa process for nurses in Australia. Yeah. Which is rational, right? Movement of people. I mean, I think it's only rational. I think Australian government is very smart. See, basically, economics historically was called political economy. conceit that economics is this kind of separate field where applied mathematics theorem banake, you can solve it. Speaking of applied mathematics, did you see that paper, Harsh? That oh, paper dripping with physics envy, actually, I should say. Uh, physics envy is the right word, right? I mean, this this idea has always been political. Economics has always been political. Free markets and state capacity are not opposites. They are also things that actually complete each other. The idea is, within a framework, you want maximum competition. But the framework is Decided by policy priorities, which is why this version of quote-unquote licensing in which you're allowing all the foreign players, Japanese, Korean, Western, like we've allowed them in automobiles, is very different from what Nehru, Indra and George Fernandez did and we said deliberate nationalization. That is not what's happening today. It's very, very different. So, Nini, uh, and, and, and to be fair, that there are some very high-quality, uh, obviously, economics... Uh, thinkers and academics out there. One of my favorite ones is Edward Glazer. So Edward Glazer had written an op-ed. Like, you know, he was, I think, some administration in the US had asked him to design a tax policy for some reason. So I think he wrote in that op-ed that, you know, I can't design a tax policy until I know your preferences in politics. You tell me the normal how progressive you are, how non-progressive you are, etc. etc. How can you design a tax policy? You need so, normative first and then you go to positivist, right? I mean, like, you tell me what is important and then I'll tell you how to do it best. So first the politics, then the technocracy. 
Yeah, I don't know. There's this one person going on and on and on and on about the proportionate quota. Usko quota se, uh, um... See, I'll quickly answer the proportionate quota. Let's no, no. It. So, banda, banda jis baati ho gaya hai, to main pooch leta hon, kyunki wo jis baato mein behar gaya hai. I'll answer the proportionate quota one. For example, Rahul Gandhi ne bola na ki jitni abadi utna haq. Or caste hmm. census ki jis baat kar rahe hai opposition wale. Yeah. My, my point is very simple. My point is आपने जो कोटा बनाना है वो ओबीसी का कोटा है या ओबीसी के अंदर भी आप डिवाइड करोगे बिकॉज़ देयर इज देयर इज अ कमिटी रिपोर्ट व्हिच वी हैव एक्चुअली कोटेड इन द बुक दैट सेज फॉर एग्जांपल दैट विद इन द ओबीसी कोटा 3 or 4% ऑफ द सब कम्युनिटीज गेट समथिंग लाइक 80% ऑफ द 80 or 90% ऑफ द रिजर्वेशन बेनिफिट्स सो देन देन द क्वेश्चन बिकम्स व्हाट मैक्रो लेवल आर यू गोइंग टू डिवी अप द कोटास इन कितना सबका सब कोटा बनाओगे सो इवेंचुअली द पॉइंट इज which is why for example the bjp is uncomfortable with the caste census because while it wants it wants eventually the caste problem to go away it does not want to further fragment hindu society and it's like jo affirmative action program chal raha hai chalne do ye na ho jaye ki caste census ke chakkar mein caste consciousness or awareness aur bad jaye that is the mm-hmm. dilemma on the sang side now on the opposite side they don't really care their their only point is how can we increase tensions between hindus so that once you add a 20% minority voting block to 20 30% of hindus and you're through so i think the calculations are on both sides are both ideological and opportunistic to some extent hmm so yeah i think the question on quotas my views on quotas has been very crystal clear anything post mandal um has been wrong i i i don't support obc quotas personally i don't support ews quotas personally i have only st- uh, supported scst reservation because that is the only definitional uh, definition that was robustly studied robustly debated there is longitudinal data to back that up even in that i think there are reasonable arguments to state that after three generations should the same family receive benefits of that quota if they have already uh, received the benefits for three generations and you can see clearly that that family has financially benefited these are all reasonable arguments but to make an argument that no quota at a fundamental level use american arguments like the mismatch hypothesis uh i mean there is a i have read a like a 200 page phd dissertation now that is a great data based uh, argument against how the mismatch hypothesis does not apply to the indian context and there are multiple reasons for that uh, especially in 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 respect to the scst community and even if you look at uh, the shortages and the seats and all those cases a disproportionate numbers uh, of those issues always step in the obc quota and uh, unfortunately people are not able to understand that just ek jagah mai disagree karunga kushal tumse ki i would support the ews quota and the I reason would. i would I, the reason i would support the ews quota is as i think rajiv was also kind of hinting at is it finally opens the door for having some kind of affirmative action policy on an economic needs basis now it's not perfect it by definition only includes those groups who've not gotten the obc sc or st quotas within that we have a cut off in income and assets etc but it creates the case and which is why it was opposed, i think the only party if i'm not wrong which uh, voted against ews quota in the lok sabha was uh, the uh, obc party if i'm not wrong and i think i think they are, because they understood in their bones that this in the long run creates 
the solution which will gradually supplant um, identity based to need based and therefore in that sense it's a good beginning that's my only i'm being very transparent about my motivation to support See, and i i also think that uh, a completely privately funded organization should not be subject to probably any quotas yes of course it's a private property thing then that so, so it's a public university and yeah. there's a government sort of uh, support element involved in it that should have to comply obviously with all of the affirmative action and so on but if 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 somebody is putting their own money you know building up their own university uh, whether it's for profit or non profit i think probably they should be exempted from following all the uh, yeah, but it is very intriguing that for example in super specialized medical programs you have caste based affirmative action fair enough in the judiciary you don't have affirmative action matlab jo cheez objectives objective science based cheez hai उधर आपने किया कोई बात नहीं आई एमरस्टैंडेंट इनशन उधर कोटा नहीं है उधर आपका फाइनेंशियल रिप्रेजेंटेशन और डिस्कलोजर भी बाई योर ओन स्टैंडर्ड पूरा नहीं है सर चैप्टर फाइव में आई थिंक वन ऑफिंग इंडियन स्टेट एंड पैंडमिक or exacerbated by geopolitical tensions for example the economic arguments you were discussing in chapter 4 and then chapter 5 the judiciary mein humne aur administrative reforms ka baat kiya i think i know judges and lawyers who will not be able to publicly say that who privately told me in rajiv that you know that's a brilliant chapter you've written itna comprehensive takedown humne judiciary ka from this particular point of view nahi dekha we've also kind of obliquely touched upon the basic structure doctrine uh, which the court just referenced in the 370 hearings i think 2 3 days ago so we we try to cover all all uh, aspects in the book but uh, abhi tak fortunately hum log ke paas koi uh, contempt notice nahi aaya nahi nahi i hope se jab tum dono jail mein jaoge na to main bahut acche se tumhare ko roti khilane aaunga rajiv kolkata jail mein jayega dekh dekh rajiv kolkata jayega anand delhi mein jayega to tu mera mat bolo kya bol rahe ho हम सब साथ एक दिन है ना मेरे को लगता है तू मैं अभिजीत राजीव आनंद सब लोग जेल में ही होने वाले हैं जिस रेट में हमारे देश के हाल चल रहे क्या बोले चलो ऑन ऑन दैट वेरी very positive and auspicious note where all of us end up in jail we will uh, we will wrap today's discussion up but uh, once again guys congratulations uh, on the relaunch of the book uh, you guys uh, I, i think it was a great read and and i'm really happy that it has been relaunched and i and i encourage everybody to go and buy this book because even if you disagree let's say hypothetically you disagree with rajiv and harsh and uh, you are not from their their perspective the least you can do is buy a book and give a pointed reply which is what most people don't do and this has been my biggest problem with people is that they refuse to read 
यार पढ़ो पढ़ना शुरू करो प्लीज रीड बुक सो इन द डिस्क्रिप्शन ऑफ द पॉडकास्ट आई हैव लेफ्ट अ लिंक टू बाय द बुक इफ यू आर अ ऑडियो लिस्नर तुम्हें भी मिलेगा जाओ क्लिक करो वो लिंक को बाय दिस बुक एंड राजीव हर्ष आई विल सी यू गाइस होपफुली इन बाय द एंड ऑफ द ईयर एज ऑलवेज प्लेजर चैटिंग विद बोथ ऑफ यू थैंक यू कुशल थैंक यू कुशल थैंक्स अ लॉट फॉर हैविंग अस अगेन Okay guys time to wrap this up once again reminding you go buy the book it is a wonderful book if you have not bought it the in the first rendition go and buy it right away abhi ka abhi jaake book kharido and if you like this podcast please uh, support this podcast this is a member driven podcast so if you can support this podcast through the membership please become a member it doesn't matter you can become a member on youtube or patreon or fanmo or you can buy the charvak podcast merchandise like the one i'm wearing right now on kushalmehra.com or you can send your donations to upi agar aise se kuch nahi kar sakte ho audio listener ho to rating chhod dena bhaiya apne audio platform pe aur agar youtube pe sun rahe ho to please like this video subscribe to the channel i will see you guys next time take care bye